Well, good morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC, and it's so good to worship with you. Don't you feel like we could just run that back a couple more times, and that we would have spent our morning in a great way? Well, if you have your Bibles or your devices, why don't you open them up or turn to Romans chapter 8. We're continuing our Unshaken series today, and actually next week we'll be wrapping it up. But right on the heels of when Phil has been talking about what in the world is going on in our world, in our our country, really across the planet, we're looking at how we can stand unshaken even when the world seems like it's falling apart. And uh, in one of Phil's last messages, he talked about this this great shaking that is, is going to come. And it's going to it's already started, to be honest with you, and it will shake the moral foundations of our world, and we've seen that. We see the moral decay of our country, we see the moral decay uh, of our world, but we also see that it's shaking the governmental systems and the economies all around the globe. It'll shake the very foundations of our world. But in the midst of this, we read scripture, right? We don't, we don't approach, we don't approach chaos and we don't approach trauma and we don't approach hardship the same way our world does. And into that, Paul reads this. This is our, our theme verse for the series. This is Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even when our whole world is shaking, we can stand firm because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And during this series, we've been looking at what unshakable confidence looks like and how we get it. So in week one, just for a little bit of review for those of you who weren't here or because it's been three weeks and we forget. We looked at how to stand unshaken, we must be fully convinced of God's love and his work in us. So the basis for our confidence is the love of Jesus. If you have the love of God in your life and you understand how much he's given for you, we can stand through anything. We can walk through anything. In week two, we began to break down how we get that kind of confidence by rehearsing the truths Paul rehearses in chapter eight. And we found that to stand unshaken, we must embrace the freedom we have in Christ through his spirit. We have freedom from sin's power and its penalty. And one day, which we're gonna talk about today, one day we'll be free from its presence. We We won't have to worry about war. We won't have to worry about shootings. We won't have to worry about sickness and death because we'll be with God. And we look forward to that hope. And already, not yet, hope is what we have. And so that leads us to this week. And we're going to be in verses 18 through 25 of Romans 8 for most of our time today. Uh, And I've been excited to preach this passage since the beginning of this series because I think, in my opinion, this is one of the most hopeful passages in all the Bible. And so I don't know what you're going through today, but I hope when you walk out of this room, you're filled with hope regardless of of what you're walking through or what circumstances you have in your life because what we see here is an invitation to shift our perspective, okay? It's a perspective that we can only have as a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Outsiders or unbelievers or people who haven't placed their faith in Jesus yet can't have this perspective. So when they see the world falling apart or when they see their loved ones dying or they see the chaos that's surrounding us, they don't have hope. 
It's a perspective that allows us to see the greater spiritual truth even while we experience some of the worst moments of our lives. Three times in this passage, we see the word groaning. And I think it's an appropriate word for what our world is seeing. In verse 22, we see that the creation groans. In verse 23, we see that we groan with creation. And then in verse 26, the groaning of the spirit on our behalf all indicating that what we're walking through is difficult, but something interesting happens as a result of these groanings. Instead of despair, we see hope. And these hardships certainly cause us grief and sorrow, but Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that our grief is not without hope. We grieve differently. We walk differently than other people because all the temporary hardships of this life point to the greater reality that something better is coming. I don't know about you guys, but I've been kind of on a, on a high all week after Good Friday and Easter. I, didn't, I honestly, I just, can we just keep doing Easter over and over and over again? Tanya, you got the energy in there, right? You can lead again. But Good Friday is a perfect picture of what we're talking about here. Because when we came to church on Good Friday, the mood was somber and we're remembering the price that Jesus paid for our sin. And we remember the agony of Calvary. But we call it Good Friday because we know that the resurrection is coming. And so even in, even in our trauma, even in our chaos, even in our hardship, we remember that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. That something better is coming, and there will be a day without death. There will be a day without pain. There will be a day when we'll see God and be like him because we'll see him as he is. We all had an opportunity to practice this perspective on Monday morning. You guys remember Monday? It was 80 yesterday, but it was snowing on Monday. We, we went to bed on Easter and woke up back in January somehow. And I hate snow. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I hate snow. And it is beautiful, but like we had, I had an opportunity, right? I had an opportunity to uh, change my perspective, even though something I don't like is going on. I was reminded by some of you and, and by my wife that that every time we see snow, even as cold and terrible as it is, it reminds us that Jesus washes us white as snow, right? And, and uh, I came into the office on Monday, and our intern, JC, said, well, we might as well turn on Christmas music <laughs> and the speakers around here. And so I quickly went, and I stole the computer so he couldn't do that. But somehow he got, he got it working anyways. And we listened to Christmas music, and we had Easter, and then we had Christmas the very next day. Well, we have these opportunities, and we can get grumpy, right? And I'll be honest, I saw snow, and I'm like, what in the world? And we have an opportunity to choose a perspective, right? Because our circumstance, we can't change our circumstances. So we can either be bitter and have snow on the ground, or we can be joyful and have snow on the ground. It's not going to change our circumstances, but it can change our attitude in it. And that's what we're talking about today in Romans chapter 8. Paul shows us in this passage that it's the difficult experiences that provide us an opportunity for an eternal perspective. And that's the theme, and here's the core truth we'll be digging into today. We can stand unshaken because we have a future hope and a present help. We can stand unshaken because we we have a future hope and a present help. 
Not only do we know that we have better days on the horizon, we also have supernatural help in our present circumstances. Think of it this way. There's, there's not a single moment in time where a Christian does not have something to look forward to. Not a single moment. And we kind of do this as humans, right? We make it through our mundane, the mundane of our lives by looking forward to something. When you, when you were a kid, were a kid, or when I was a kid, it was like, it was like Christmas or a birthday or, or Easter, something to celebrate. And as an adult, now we look forward to the weekend or a nap. <laughs> or as adults in the Midwest, we just look forward to a consistent weather pattern that we're not going to get. But it's not just something to look forward to in the Christian life. It's help in the present circumstances of our lives. It's not just something to reach for. We have help here and now. There isn't a single moment in time where a Christian doesn't have help in that moment. Both of these truths are vital to our unshakable confidence. So let's look at our future hope first in verses 18 through 25. Read along with me. It says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing to be for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." This passage is kind of hard to read at times. Um, for the crossing team, it's hard to read this morning. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And it's in this statement, Paul is in no way minimizing the hardship or the pain that we go through. Jesus promised we would face trouble. He promised that we would be hated for his namesake. He said that our walk with him would be like taking up a cross and carrying it to our deaths. Paul understands that the suffering we experience is very real and very painful. He's not minimizing it. But it isn't even worth comparing to the glory that awaits. Kent Hughes put it this way, no matter what we have gone through or are presently going through or will go through, the sum total is not worth comparing with the glory that awaits us. We can compare a thimble of water with the sea, but we cannot compare our sufferings with the coming glory. It's that great. Friends, we have very little knowledge of what heaven and the new earth, earth will be like, but we can know that it will be far better than anything we've ever experienced here. And Paul gives us just two glimpses into this future reality. First, he says, creation will be set free. Paul says that creation was subjected to futility unwillingly in verse 20. It means that when Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation was cast into chaos and death entered the world. And our experiences are the result of the fall. This is why we have natural disasters. This is why we have decay and corrosions. This is why 
Sometimes animals themselves seem to be governed by violence. This is why uh, we have our precious beloved pets pass away and we have to explain to our kids that they went off to the hamster farm in southern Texas. Did you guys ever have that told you? That's a terrible thing. But that, that's why we have it, is because all of creation was cast into chaos when Adam and Eve sinned. It was subjected unwillingly to fertility. We may all disagree about global warming and green energy policies and the value of electric cars, but we can all agree that our physical world is not the way it's supposed to be. This world is not what it's supposed to be. It was, it was created as a paradise for us to live in. And sin has marred everything about it. It only takes one bite from a mosquito to know that something's wrong. <laughs> Yesterday was amazing because it was warm out and there was no bugs. We just, like we had the doors open. This is weird. But we know even when, even our favorite times of years, there's bugs, there's pests, there's, there's things in our world that don't seem quite right. And I ask myself, I'm like, why? What was the purpose of mosquitoes before the fall? I have no idea. If you know, you can come tell me. But just one bite from them, and we know this is, this is not right. This is not how our world is supposed to be. And Paul describes creation like a woman in the pains of childbirth, waiting for delivery. That's quite a description. And moms, you know instantly that longing for delivery, right? Guys, we don't have a clue. And it's interesting that some of my favorite pictures, this is, I had to ask permission for my wife to talk about this because it's interesting that some of my favorite pictures are of my wife right after she had a child. And we have a term for this. It's like glow, right? I have a picture I wanna, I wanna show you guys of that. I think they have it for you, okay? That is like one of my favorite pictures. Little Titus holding little Rory's hand and watching Cars 2. But Jessica is glowing, even though she just went through one of the hardest things in her entire life. This is what creation longs for, that radiance and glory that it was intended for. That's what it means that, that it's groaning and longing for the revelation of the children of God to be set free from that corruption. Can you imagine how much trouble I'd be in if I took pictures during the delivery? I know that birth is, is beautiful, but I don't need help remembering that part, okay? And Paul says that creation longs to be set free from the bondage. It's what we look forward to from the corruption that is experienced because of our sin. And it isn't just creation that groans. It's not just creation that longs for that freedom. We join creation in that groaning. In this groaning, we experience it reminds us that someday we will be set completely free. And the reason we say completely free is because of the truth we looked at two weeks ago. In Romans 8, 1, he says, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're free from the penalty and the power of sin as soon as we place faith in Jesus Christ. But we're waiting from the freedom from the presence of sin in our life. And we groan with creation and all of that. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 23. Look at it with, again with me. It says, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Can you feel that? Like literally, the word groaning, 
our bodies are wasting away and literally groan as they experience the, the decay. And it gets worse and worse as time marches on and on. For me, I started noticing it when I was 31 years old. You know what hurt my back before I was 31? Falling out of trees and sledding off of rooftops and playing tackle football and playing paintball without my shirt on. You know what hurts my back now? Sleeping. <laughs> and sneezing wrong. I have, a, I have a friend who literally, she sneezed one time and broke a rib. Like, that's not supposed to happen. But our bodies are beginning to waste away. Getting off the couch wrong can hurt your back. Or even just rolling over in bed. Our bodies are decaying. And some of us have faster rates than others. But we're groaning inwardly because we know this is not what God had designed. And so we look forward with hope for something better. Our bodies as a part of creation are under the curse of the fall. And like the rest of creation, we eagerly wait for that redemption. One day there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more injuries, no more disease, no more COVID, no more cancer. Amen. And one day we will have glorified bodies. And I love how Paul describes it as waiting eagerly for adoption as sons. Because we know that theologically, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we immediately become children of God, right? But when Paul says we are waiting for here is the final realization of that adoption. We have, uh, our family has a blessing of having all of my nephews and nieces are adopted. So I have two uh, adopted nephews, Blake and Atreyu, an adopted niece named Sierra. And as soon as they were born, they were part of our family. I consider them my, my nephews and nieces. My sisters considered them their children. Uh, my parents considered them grandbabies. But there's a legal process we go through, right? That until they're finally and legally adopted, they're a part of our family already. But that day we get to celebrate. Weavers, where are you guys at? Weavers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That day where you get to finally celebrate the actualization of the process that you've been in for a long time. That's what we wait for. We are children of God, but one day we're going to fully realize what it means and, and what all the benefits are of building, being the children of God and being in his presence and having all the resources available to our, from our Father available to us in our glorified bodies. We wait for it eagerly for the adoption as sons. Similar, we, we are children of God, but we wait for the final realization of that truth. And Paul finishes up this section like this. He says, for in this hope, in the hope that's inside of all the chaos and inside all the troubling circumstances and inside all the pain our bodies and our world experiences, in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that's what we're, where we're at. Waiting for it with patience can be very difficult. But there is something on the horizon for each and every believer. There's eternal life in the presence of God our Father forever. And this light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to that. This is the perspective change we talked about. We currently are in the midst of the groaning, the painful experiences we all walk through. But those groanings point to a hope in which we were saved. 
And yes, these things are difficult, but they serve as a reminder that this world is not as it should be. And we're just here on temporary assignment. And our greatest hope is yet to come. And if we have that hope, we wait for it with patience. And what's more amazing is that this is not the end of the good news. Not only do we have a future hope to look forward to, but we have present help now for what we are walking through. And Paul breaks down this present help in two parts. The first is found in verse 26 through 27, where where Paul declares that the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. It says this in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What an amazing and comforting truth that in our weakness, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit does for us. And I, I ha- this week, I couldn't help but think of the Thornton family and the loss of, of Al, our brother. I don't even know what to say when that kind of stuff happens. You, you know, I, I have trouble even forming words to pray because I know I'm supposed to pray, but I, sometimes I just sit there and I go, God, I, I don't know how to pray for this family. And what Paul is saying here is that in that moment, the Holy Spirit fills in the gaps and prays on our behalf. Not only that, but according to the word of God. And it says that he groans with us. The Spirit knows how to grieve because God the Father knows how to grieve. And because Jesus the Son knows how to grieve. We know from the the book of John that that Jesus even wept with the people he loved at the death of Lazarus. And he entered into their pain even though he knew the good outcome. Have you ever thought about that? In John 3, or sorry, John 11, when Jesus is mourning the death of Lazarus, he knows what he's about to do. So why does he cry? Why does he weep? And part of it is because he's seeing the brokenness and the, the hardship in our world, but part of, this, part of it is he's walking into the pain with the people he loves, and the Holy Spirit does the same thing in, in us. He groans with us because he knows that pain. He knows the feeling of that loss, even though he knows the good outcome. Even though he knows that the present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory to come, He doesn't dismiss our pain, but instead he enters into it with us and groans and prays when we can't. And he doesn't just pray. Paul says that he prays according to the will of God, and that's that's important, okay? Have you ever um, not known how to pray? And I'm not just talking about like in a, a terrible trial or a shocking loss or something like that, but someone asks you to pray for something and you don't know how, like a when children's ministry and student ministries, a lot of times will ask for prayer requests and you'll get some weird ones. Like, my dog died. Okay, are you sad about that? No. Well, how do, you, how, how do I pray for your dead dog? And we don't know. And that's kind of an awkward situation. It's kind, of, it's kind of weird, but the Holy Spirit knows how to pray according to the will of God. And so even when we don't know what the will of God m- might be, The Holy Spirit does, and he prays on our behalf according to the will of God. He prays according to the will of the Father because he is in perfect harmony and union with the Father. 
And when we don't know how to pray in our weakness, he takes over. And can I tell you another secret? Well, it's not really a secret. We're always weak. There's not, a, there's not a single moment in your life or in my life where we don't have to rely on the Spirit's power in us. And so he's constantly interceding for us. Even when you throw up prayers that you don't really know how to pray or they're, they're immature or they're, they're prideful or they're self-seeking, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf and helps us in this, those moments know the will of the Father and direct us towards the will of the Father because he's a constant and present help. No matter what circumstances we face, we always have the help of the Holy Spirit. God himself living, dwelling in us. And sometimes the best prayer that we can pray is simply, God, I don't even know the words to say or what to ask you for in this moment, but I trust you and so help me. Sometimes something that simple is the best prayer we can pray. And when we pray like that, we release the Spirit to pray on our behalf. President help also comes in another way, and the end of our passage tells us this, that the Father is completing his good work in us. Romans 8, 28, one of, probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like I said, this might be one of the most well-known passages in, in the Bible, but unfortunately, it's also one that's most misunderstood. We love to talk about how the Father is completing his good work in us and how he works everything for our good, but we forget that this passage is directly linked to the one before it, where it's talking about the will of God. Like we talk, we talk often that the will of God is our good and his glory, but we, all, we forget sometimes but that our good is his will, meaning that what he wants in us is to accomplish his will. And when he does that, and when we do that, that's when we experience good. It's not just, it can't be this fleeting feeling of what good is. We can't rely on our own definitions of what good means. Because when we do, when we walk through something like the death of a loved one, like the Thorntons are walking through, that's not good from our eyes, but it's according to the will of the Father. And when he works his will through his spirit and through his son, it accomplishes our greatest good. And that's by far better news than anything we can manufacture on our own. When we decide for ourselves, this is a side note, when we decide for ourselves what good is, we cause chaos. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. If you walk through, you can take a look at it this afternoon, but all the way through Genesis 1, God is saying, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good, Right? And then we get to Genesis 3. And what, is, what does it say about Eve? When she saw the fruit and saw that it was good for making one wise, she took it and ate. So the very first time we have in recorded history of when human beings use their own definition of good, sin enters our world. It can't be that version of good. And so the things that you're walking through, the difficulties of life, whether it be the death of a loved one, whether it just be the chaos that's in our world or sickness, 
other health issues, they can be good because they can be instruments of God's will for making you more and more like his son, Jesus. Paul shows us in part, part of God's will as it pertains to salvation in verses 29 and 30. This is a a passage of scripture that's called the ordo salutis or the logical order of salvation. He's talking about how God is accomplishing the work of salvation in us. And he says that he foreknew us before the foundations of the world. He knew Eric, he knew you. He predestined us, he called us, he justified us, and he glorified us. And the point of this list is not to argue the timeline of your salvation or argue about election. The point is to show that God's will for believers is that their salvation be complete, be finished. And he will accomplish that work in you. Do you ever get frustrated with your own spiritual growth? And now sometimes it's because of the dumb things that we do, the choices that we make, the the mistakes that when we choose ourself and our own will over the will of God, and we're, we're hindered in our relationship. We're hindered in our spiritual maturity. But God is always working. God is always forming you. God is always using a chisel to take away the parts of you that don't look like Jesus Christ. He will always accomplish his work. That's why he said he justified us and he glorifies us. Paul reminds us in Philippians in another spot. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. One day you will be like Christ because you will see him as he is. If I'm not dead, God's not done. And glorification is that moment when we, we understand all these truths, not by faith anymore, but by sight. And between now and then, God continues to work to help us for our good and his glory. But it's also important to note that, that Paul says here, he also glorified. And James Denny, a commentator, said, this is the most daring anticipation of faith in the New Testament because glorified there is past tense meaning that believers here are spoken of as already glorified because Paul is so certain of God's completed work. He will finish his work in you. It's easy to get frustrated, but God's not done. So keep leaning into what he's trying to accomplish. Keep believing and trusting that his, his will is good and that we have help in the now and we have a hope for the future. And if we keep our, those two things in perspective, we just keep walking. We just keep walking. And some days it's harder than others, right? And sometimes we need people around us to, to surround us and to, to walk and to help carry us at different times. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we spend so much time talking about how you should be in a life group, how you should be in a serving team, how, how you should be here on a regular basis. It's because we know how hard this life is. We know how hard it is to keep our minds focused on the hope to come and on the help we have right now. And you need other people to do it. So do I. And so if you're not taking advantage of that, if you're not in a life group or you're not on a serving team, God has designed you for community. He's designed you to, to interact in relationships and to help you point you towards these truths. And so if, you're, if you haven't done that yet, if you're relatively new here, the journey experience that we're starting and, or having come again in May is a great place to start that. 
Some beautiful relationships have come out of just sitting at tables and learning about our church together. So take advantage of those things because we were built for community. My hope in all of this is that you would know that there is hope and help for every believer to really believe it. Not just to hear the words coming out of my mouth, but to, to, to take it to heart and know that there is hope. There, is be- there are better days coming and there is help right now while I'm walking through it. I know that God has entrusted many of you with some pretty heavy crosses. And you're walking through some difficult things. And I wanna end today by reading one final portion of scripture and actually allowing us some time to spend in prayer together, okay? The scripture comes from an almost parallel passage that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't lose heart. And here's the invitation. If you find yourself today losing heart in light of some of the experiences that you're dealing with or or have dealt with, we want to pray for you. We want to help you. No matter what it is, I, I want, we want to re- release the power of the Holy Spirit to pray on your behalf, and, and we do that through prayer. We have a prayer team here and several pastors that, that want to pray for you, with you, and over you in whatever affliction you may, may be facing. I don't, care, I don't care if it's physical. I don't care if it's spiritual warfare going on. I don't care if there's, there's some mental strain you're going through. We want to pray with and for you. And here's, here's a play, part you can play in this. We're really good um, at telling people we'll pray for them, right? Someone tells you something's going on in their life, oh, I'll be praying for that. Well, why not pray for it in the moment, okay? So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna have you guys stand up, so why don't you guys stand up? And here's what I would like to do, for you to do as the body of Christ. We're a family, Right? And I know the people around you may be complete strangers, all right? But you're here today for a reason and they're sitting next to you today for a reason. So after I pray, if you have something you want the pastors or the prayer team to pray over you for, come down front here and we'll pray with you. But why don't you ask your neighbor, how can I pray for you? And then pray right there, okay? I know it's weird. I know some of you might, that might be awkward for, it's okay. Um, remember, when we're weak, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, all right? So there's not really any excuses. <laughs> Sorry, all right? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful that I don't have to walk through this life without hope or help. But I know without a, a shadow of a doubt that one day I will see you, and I will see your son, and I will be with him for all eternity. And we look forward to that and we, we even say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But you still have us here in this place and this time for a reason and so we know you're not done and so we're thankful too for the help that comes through your Holy Spirit. And God, for my brothers and sisters here, I know there is, there's a wealth of pain and hardship going on here. 
And Lord, would you allow us to minister to one another well today? Would you help us to pray for our brothers and sisters and not just once, but continue to pray? Would you put on our minds to help one another in this way? Because you help us in this way. And so God, I pray that today we would see freedom from affliction. We would see freedom from from heartache, that we would see freedom from health issues and all those things. And we trust you for the power that you promise in your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.